Amen. Uh, <clears throat> when I grabbed the notes to hand out tonight, I discovered that only the cover had been printed and not the inside for you guys. So <laughs> I will give you the copies uh, later, but uh, just listen up and maybe that's a good idea. So that you listen instead of just following the notes. But I want to do an evening with you, just 25 minutes on uh, how God guides us. How many think that that's a good subject? Eh? Wouldn't you love to hear God eh? and have his direction? I want to say it's lovely to have Elise with us uh, from Brussels in Belgium. She was with us this morning and uh, has a, a gift to bring prophetic painting and artwork as we worship. So we're looking forward to seeing what the Lord will produce on this easel tonight. Uh, it's lovely. She's from this church at Ricky Pastors, hey guys, up in Brussels, eh? the International Vineyard. Right, so we're going we're gonna to look at that subject tonight of how God guides us and see if we can find ways that will be helpful. And I'm going to give you three, uh, five particular ways. But before we do that, I want to say the desire for God's guidance is, uh, is a sign of spiritual health. The fact that you want to be guided by God means that you're spiritually alert and, and hungry. And, and the desire for that comes from God, not the devil. So the fact that you want to be led by God is a good thing. That's a sign that God's on you. In fact, I'd go further to say it's actually the sign of the new covenant. Because Jeremiah 31 says, each one will know me, says the Lord. We're all meant to hear from God. This is not the, uh, the prerogative of the pastor or the cardinal or the pope or something. Uh, as you're going up uh, the ranks of, uh, as people understand it, of denominationalism. This is for every single member, every single believer. The father wants every child of his to actually hear him and be guided by him. And he wants to guide you. He says, the meek will I guide in my way. He, he guides the humble. He wants to do that. Um, he says in Isaiah 48, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. Isaiah 48, 17. And you know, Romans 12 says that if we submit to him, as we consecrate ourselves to him, so uh, we find out what, what he, and we be able to then test what is good and right and the perfect will of God, what is pleasing to him. So there are a couple of wrong ideas and forbidden means of guidance that I'd like to sketch um, and make sure we, we get them out of the way. Any form of spiritism, divination, visiting Tsongomas, because you want to tap into the spiritual world, this is forbidden in Scripture and extremely unhealthy. So avoid all forms of divination, spiritism, Ouija boards, um, astrology. Um, in, in fact, even unbalanced charismania, uh, a Gnostic spirituality that has hotline guidance but is not uh, uh, available for testing. The Bible says in the multitude of witnesses, um, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So we need, we need that. Um, in fact, we would need to have a balance of the Word and the Spirit because if all we're focusing on is uh, what the Spirit is saying but there's no uh, commitment to the Word, it's like a Having a relationship, a love relationship, where you don't take what is written seriously. You just go by feelings, and it'll be so volatile, so unstable. You need to have the, uh, the, the written declaration of God's word. That's absolutely vital. So there are five balancing ways we can be led by God. So let's just pitch them out there for us tonight. And the very first one is the word. His love letter to us in the Bible is that, eh? The words of Larry Crabb, it's... Uh, it's God's 66 love letters to us. Every book of the Bible brings another nuance of God's love for us. Eh? And the, the Bible's not always as big as this one. I've got all sorts of notes in here. 
but the Word of God is profoundly uh, an expression of his, his best concern for us, His best counsel for us. We need to be sure that we are Word-based. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your Word is a lamp to my, f- to my feet and a light for my path. I, I see the immediate and I see the road. Uh, your word, your word, your word. He says um, in the same chapter, Psalm 119, verse 133, he says, direct my footsteps according to your word. He also says, how can a young man keep his way pure? But by guarding it according to your word. Eh? So loving the word is very important. I encourage every believer to read the Bible every single day. I mean, imagine you were in love, eh? Colleen and I were separated for three years before we got married. Three of the three and a half years we knew each other and all those letters we wrote were absolutely vital to us. We read them. Nathan, did you guys have a separation before you got married? Uh, you guys married recently in Texas. I don't really, I'm sure you must have had some time apart eh, before you married. Not easy, hey? Not easy. I found that one of the hardest. I was, at that time, I said, I'll never wish this on my worst enemy. <laughs> That's what I actually said. So God's uh, letter to us, his word to us, is absolutely vital. It expresses his heart and very, very securing for us. So, I would encourage you to really get into healthy Bible reading. And so in Deuteronomy 29, he says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law, what is written. Um, we understand the, uh, the word in the, in the um, Greek language to have two expressions. One's logos, the other is rhema. The logos of God is the written, declared, objective word. It's written down, it's recorded for us. The rhema is the spoken, the heard, the spoken, the, the living word. It comes to us like that. But he can often bring alive to us what is written. Hey? So there's a great interplay between the logos and the rhema. We need both. We've seen people really go off the rails when they lean one way only or the other. You can dry up if you only have the written textual focus for your life, and you can blow up if you go the other way, if only have hotline guidance in terms of uh, subjective guidance. So watch out for, on this very point of the word, uh, what we call a, a kind of a biblical roulette, you know, just closing eyes and then saying, Lord, speak to me, and opening the Bible and putting your finger on the verse, eh? Like that lady who did that, and, and it said there, she found that verse just had a, as a finger land on it, and Judas went and hanged himself. So she thought, how can this be a word from God for me? So she said, no, Lord, don't play games with me. She did it again. And uh, it said, um, she put a finger on a verse, and it said, go thou and do likewise. So she said, oh, no, Lord, stop this game. Talk to me properly. So she did it a third time. And then uh, it landed on that, what thou hast to do, do thou quickly. <laughs> so watch out for playing some kind of promise, promise uh, cards, uh, Russian roulette, as it were, with, uh, with the Scriptures. Uh, the Scriptures should be understood in terms of their context. It's not a book of magic. It's, it's a book of God's wisdom and His best concern for us, His directions for our lives and how we're meant to live it. It's not a, a promise, promise uh, box approach. Um, and, and, and be careful you don't only look for those scriptures in some kind of cafeteria approach. You know, where you go to a cafeteria or a restaurant, you can eat off the menu, huh? I don't want so much cabbage. I just want the, the nice things, the carrots or something. And you, you pick and choose from the menu. Sometimes we have a cafeteria approach to scripture. And we stick to some scriptures that speak things that we want to hear. Watch out for that. Because if you really want to be led by God, sometimes you've got to hear... Uh, the unlovely things, the things that are not going to be comfortable for you because they're going to shake, rattle, and roll you. Huh? Very important for us to figure that out. But of course, being, 
bear in mind that the devil himself can quote scripture. Eh? He did that to Jesus in Luke 4. He says, it is written, it is written, it is written. But Jesus knew the Bible as well as he did, much, much better, in fact. He says, but it is written. And Jesus answered him with a, a counter scripture that gave a, a healthier context and actually got the, the, uh, the victory over that. So the first way we, we find guidance is by a healthy approach to the word. And uh, here's some things that will help you to do that well. Check the context that is being written. It's historical context and uh, what it means uh, in terms of principles that it leads to. Um, um, look for God's uh, sovereign will um, and be careful of, of uh, uh, making fixed promises on, on uh, subjective deductions. Uh, you know, Napoleon Bonaparte in his early life said that God is on the side of the biggest artillery. Later, <laughs> later in exile on an island after he'd mellowed, he said, man proposes but God disposes. He came to a realization that God is still sovereign and he needed to submit to that. Um, and yeah, I think submit also as you look at Scripture to the, the moral will of God in Scripture. We, we don't, he doesn't violate his morality for us uh, in a subjective way. He's, the morality of God has absolutes to it. And some things are encouraged and some things are forbidden. And that doesn't change with God just because we're living in changing times. Does that make sense to you? It's very important for us to be anchored in an objective morality. Um, you know, like there was a guy, Reese Howell, something you might have read, Intercessor, one of his most famous books. Um, and at a particular point in his ministry, he forbade marriage um, at his Bible college for those who wanted to serve the Lord fully. He's like, he actually enforced celibacy. Uh, the Bible actually discourages the enforcement of celibacy. In fact, he says if you have the desire, then trust God. He will lead you because he finds a wife, finds a good thing. It is a blessing of God. Of course, it's nice to be reminded that Paul also said those who marry will have trouble in this life. Has anybody, anybody acknowledged that? Huh? Chloe, it's nice to see you. I didn't mean that with regard to you and Tristan, but good to see you guys tonight. <laughs> but uh, my point is uh, watch out for, for, uh, for those things in Scripture that, that uh, we don't want to take seriously. And ask the Lord to show us rather more clearly. Um, and always be motivated by love and concern for God's best interest for other people. So that's the first way he guides us by the word. And if you want to be guided by God, learn to love his word. Second, the spirit. He guides us by his Holy Spirit who comes to us in, in, in three ways. The inner witness. The, witness bear, the spirit bears witness of our spirit that we're children of God. That's a very important thing to remember. You will know in your knower, as we say. That place where you know it because you know it because you know it. Eh? In your knower. God has put this in my heart. I just, I know a call to ministry is one of those things my dad used to say to me, Dave, stay out of the ministry as long as you can. <laughs> but when that fire grips you and you can't anymore, then go in. And that came to me in 1975. God began to speak about the ministry. I said, Lord, if this really is you, talk to me 10 times. I need to know it. I don't want to just walk this out very superficially. And 10 distinct encounters with God that you grew on me in terms of this inner witness. And in the end, I couldn't but go in. This was, and I've never doubted that since that time. So you need to have an inner witness. That's a very important aspect. That is, lots of scriptures speak about that. The second is the gifts of the Spirit. That's another way he guides us, is by the gifts that he uses, which usually are exercised in confirmation rather than initiation of a direction. The gifts are normally confirmatory of that which we've already had a witness about or a leading in. And so we follow the gifts on that basis. And then um, uh, watch out that we don't use those gifts uh, 
in some form of charismatic witchcraft where we speak over people directions that we want them to go and we, and we say, thus saith the Lord. What can they say to that? I mean, I've heard of a young guy saying to a girl, the Lord told me you're going to marry me. <laughs> what chances she got? She, she, can't, she, can't, but turn him, she can't turn him down. Huh? And, and you know, if you bring in prophetic words that control people's lives, that's why in the vineyard we're very cautious about that and we, we encourage people to use disclaimer language. Say, so it seems to me that you guys would be good together and I think God might be on that, but go and test it. You know what I'm saying? That's much safer. Um, so be very careful about uh, not controlling each other's lives in some kind of uh, charismatic way. Uh, but that doesn't mean we should be re- reluctant to bring prof- prophecy. All prophecies should be tested. and We hold fast to what is good. So do that. That's important. Um, and then uh, with regard to that also, sometimes he leads us by his spirit because he implants desires in us. What do you really want to do? He says, when you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Once your heart and your life is committed to God, he changes your desires and you start to want what he wants. Eh? It's a wonderful way to live. It's a very free way to live. You're no longer living under obligation. You're living in inspiration because your desires have been awakened. Eh? Um. So... <clears throat> The third, the third way he guides us is um, by wise counsel, counsel of friends and leaders around us. Seek it out. I mean, many proverbs speak about that. For lack of wisdom, uh, Proverbs eleven fourteen, for lack of guidance, the nation falls. But many advisors make make victory sure. Um, proverbs thirteen twenty, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Proverbs 15, 22, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. And so it goes on. Many other scriptures encourage strongly the, the seeking out of counsel. Um, it's not to say you want man's wisdom, but you do need man to, to, to test with you. Am I going the right direction? Am I missing something here? Um, a very important part of that. But make sure that the counsel you seek is, is biblically based. So the one you go to for counsel needs to be a Bible-based believer. Um, and second, it helps if they have some experience. There's a level of, of experience involved that uh, you can. That you don't have to also burn your hand on the stove. They tell you that thing's hot. Don't touch it. And they've been there, and you can see the scars on their hands still. So don't you go and do the same thing. Learn from their experience. I mean, how many think that's, that's a good idea? Eh? Just learn from the experience of those others. So, uh, and then I think also just go to the best available counsel that you have at any given time concerning the decisions you're having to make. And usually in local church context, elders, pastors, uh, connect group leaders, these are people that God has placed around us to provide just such a counseling, counselor opportunity, a, a, the support base of others, the counsel of others to guide us. In that scripture we've been thinking quite a lot about in recent days, Hebrews 13 verse 17 says, Obey your leaders um, and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give account. Leaders are there because they're looking out for your best interests, so cooperate with them. If they've got something really wrong, then there are respectful ways of saying, look, I I hear what you're saying, but have you considered this? And if they're teachable, and they should be if they're in spirit-inspired leadership, they should be teachable. They will tell me why why you think differently. Let's dialogue about that. Let's let iron sharpen iron. A good leader has an EQ capacity to to cope with differences and diversities. eh? That's a very important part. Um, You can willfully choose counselors that will that'll sweet talk you and flatter you. Watch out for that. 
Go to counselors that will be willing to trade truth with you. It's so important. So we have three things so far. The word, the spirit, and wise counsel. Let me give you the last two. Circumstances. God often guides us by open doors or closed doors. You don't have to bash the door down. You wait for God to open it. When he opens the door, he'll open the door that no man will shut. It's a door clearly from God. And you walk through it. Huh? That's a wonderful thing. Um, and uh, so look, look to that. He's always looking out for our best interests. He's looking out for the, uh, the way to lead us that will not have us frustrated and confused, just like a father or mother looking out for their kids. What is the best plan for them? Um, I think to help us do that well, the circumstances factor, we should, we should uh, not wait for revelation, but investigate every possibility. See, what is he actually, don't prejudge it and say, and that's a, an impossible idea. Maybe sometimes he calls you to do the impossible, eh? to step out, uh, out of the boat, walk on the water. Hey, no one's ever done that before, but hey, why not just try it? So Peter does, and he begins to have this amazing experience. So investigation rather than just waiting around for revelation. And then I'd also say uh, try the doors, try them, um, but do not force your way through. Wait for God to make it clear. Uh, there's a timing factor in the circumstances. And sometimes, just like you mothers the, amongst us that have had babies, eh? you know when that baby is knocking and saying it's time to come. Eh? And we had a message this morning where Craig Kibbe was just talking about that, how vital it is to wait and not run ahead of that. It's so important that we wait for God to birth the opportune circumstances. Until they're there, we are what we call people in training. We're in a pit, P-I-T, people in training. And we need to be waiting for God to open the right door at the right time. And if you want to run ahead of him, you will have the consequences thereof because you won't be ready. You'll be trying to be a tall tree, and when the winds blow, your roots are not gone down deep enough because you didn't endure uh, the challenges of the shaping years. And so you try to run way ahead. So important to submit to the circumstantial leading of God. And the last thing I want to give you as a fifth way that we can hear God's guidance is by common sense. Some people don't like that. They think, oh, I can't get more spiritual. Common sense? Well, I think there is such a thing as sanctified, purified common sense. Proverbs is very clear. It's a book of, of common sense. Think about it. You go read, uh, you, know, you know that Billy Graham used to read uh, the 31 chapters in Proverbs. He read a, a chapter of Proverbs every single day of his life, a whole chapter. Every single day, because he wanted to be very well grounded in practical wisdom, in uh, common sense. For example, Proverbs 6, verse 1 through 5. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have stuck, struck hands in pledge for another, if you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, to free yourself. Since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands, go and humble yourself, press your plea with your neighbor, allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids, Free yourself like a gazelle from the hands of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. And, and he goes on in that same chapter to talk about adultery. He says, a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. In others, he's stupid. It's just another way of putting it, plain and simple. Whoever does so, he says, destroys himself. Proverbs 22.3 says, a prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keeps going and suffers for it. How about this in Proverbs 24, 27? Finish your outdoor work and get your, your fields ready. After that, build your house. You, you develop things in order. 
get the workplace going, and then you can add to the building of your house. You can live in a tent while you're running your job, hey? but eventually when you have enough coming, you can build your house. Building your house is not going to put bread on the table. It's going to take it away from the table. Hey? Practical wisdom. So seek the counsel of Scripture and common sense and allow the Scriptures to guide your thinking around these core values. Um, and we would say, as God has led us to, to try and live on a cash basis, uh, get out of debt. Don't live in debt. Uh, it's, it's biblical sense to actually live on a cash basis. You'd be very sure not to get tied up and become the tail and not the head because you're all wrapped up in debt. So many scriptures speak about that. Proverbs 21.5, I'll give you one last scripture on that. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Okay? Similar proverbs he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. And notice it's little by little, not lotto by lotto for some of you who want to go down to the boardwalk or the casino. Eh? It's not about that. It's uh, little by little. So here's some practical things as we, as we land. Um, avoid mood-based decisions. Eh? Just your, your hormones might be speaking and not your God. Um, and, and then uh, practically it's important to separate facts from problems. So, so you get a, an objective assessment uh, and sometimes, how many have ever been stuck in indecision? Ever been there? I've been there. Huh? Indecision can be a terrible trap. Huh? Not sure, should we, shouldn't we, and you this way, and you that way. But Scripture would encourage us to trust God in those times. And sometimes a second-rate decision is better than a non-decision. It's better than an indecision. Because indecision can just tie you up. Huh? I mean, it can be a simple thing. Shall I buy the green shirt or the yellow shirt? Huh? <laughs> you, you, you can't actually afford both. Others, you would have bought them both and finished the problem, but you couldn't. So what do you do, huh? <laughs> so many things, huh? So watch out for, um, for that. One of the ways you can beat indecision by set a time limit and say, well, I need to decide this by 8 o'clock tomorrow evening or whatever, and you give yourself some time to let it settle, and things will come together that will bring you to greater clarity in time for that. So set a time limit. Um, and ask the right questions about the decision you're making. Uh, even if they're awkward, difficult questions, they're important. Um, and uh, recognize the limitations of our, of, of our perspectives and understandings that we don't know enough. So we need to gather wisdom from others. It helps us to figure it out. Um, watch also practically for being trapped by past patterns. Just doing the same old, same old. Going down the same old track, eh? That you'll find yourself doing the same old thing like uh, yesterday's battle plans and trying to fight today's battles with yesterday's plans. You know, they might have worked in that battle, but by now the enemy knows what you're going to do because you did it last year. So change the plan and come at it differently. Um, watch out for group, suppose group infallibility. There's a thing called groupthink. Sometimes you're testing with others and you just go with the majority and sometimes you need to have the majority interrogated. Why do they think that way? And don't be scared to do that. Make sure, make sure you get, make good decisions um, that help us to figure this out. Um, and, of course, if you make a mistake in your supposed leading from God, decisions can mostly be remade, eh? or you can be helped to live with it. Huh? God can give you the grace to live with a decision out of which you cannot escape. Huh? I mean, I was thinking about this uh, with a guy who loved a girl for, for eight years, but um, she really thought he was going to marry her. And at the last minute, he decided not to marry her, but to marry another girl. And before he did that, he came to me and said, look, I have met this other girl, but I've been friends with this one for eight years. What do I do now? So I said, well, where's your best friend? It's safer to marry your best friend. Uh, he says, yeah, but that doesn't seem so exciting. <laughs> this other one turns me on. So I'd rather marry the turn on 
than my best friend. So I said, well, you're going to have a very hard time with it because I'll tell you what, the amount of time you need to be turned on is just a few minutes a day, possibly, <laughs> but your companionship you're going to need for hours and hours every day. Isn't that true, some married people? Huh? Why aren't you answering that? <laughs> so, some of you might think, yeah, no, no, no. You, you marry the turn on. That's the main deal. But hey, think about it. It's a covenant of companionship. And uh, he, he went ahead and, and married the, the girl that turned him on. And then he came to him and he said, I think I've made a mistake. I, I need a friend. I said, well, now you have to learn to earn this friendship. And, and so he knuckled down and did it. And they've, it's just very painful for the other girl. But they've, they've all gone on. He, she married someone else eventually. And, and he has made a very good go. of, And it took a long time of applying himself to turn that love relationship into a friendship of companionship. Eh? So we want to land this just to say, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. God wants to lead us. And tonight, he wants to lead many of us while we worship, eh? while we wait on him. And in this time that we are reflecting on things God's doing in our world, it's wonderful. I was just reading some reports of this fresh move of God that's happening here, there, all over the place, not led by any particular person or organization or celebrity names. It's just it's a name, nameless, faceless groundswell of God's spirit. In East London, there have been how many kids, young teenagers, 50, 60 at a time, coming to Christ in some of the gatherings of the schools there. It's been quite exciting as he's just... God's doing something, something very amazing. And as we listen to him, I think for me that's most exciting. People are tapping in to say, Father, speak to me. Draw me to yourself. And then you do in me what you would love to do. Show me. Change my mind. Help me get my mind cleaned up. I close with one last comment. Juan Carlos Ortiz, a guy who was very used by God from South America many years ago, who helped shape many of us in our early experience of the charismatic movement. He said, what we really need is have our brains taken out, scrubbed with detergent, brushed, and put back in the other way. <laughs> we need to have our minds renewed hey, as believers. So we're not stuck in doing the same old worldly thing, but we have, we have our minds renewed ongoingly. And you know what? When we worship like this, we're saying, Lord, here I am. Take my brain. Renew my mind. Help me to know you with the spirit of revelation. Reveal yourself to me. And that's what's happening. Even outside of any preaching in that, people are getting before God and encountering Him and the encounter with God. I know we've often said we need the power, but we're finding out we need the presence more because when we have the presence, the power is in the presence. His, his power comes in the presence. Eh? Healings are happening. And uh, lives are being changed. People are being born again, sovereignly. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that everything that comes from you that would be helpful to us would stay with us and we'd be a people who could be nourished by what you say. And Lord, most importantly, would you help us to want you, to, 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 be, want, uh, to, to want to be wanted even. Turn our desires on towards you. Awaken us to want you. And then, Lord, would you meet us? Would you meet us, especially those of us who have not been so close to you? And we have much of our lives lived by our own agendas. Lord, would you, would you help us to want what you want? So we welcome your presence as we move into this time of worship, uh, prophecy, listening, waiting, responding. 
Come, Holy Spirit, speak to us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Dave, we're going to break bread together, so this is a good time for us to begin our worship. When we, while we're doing it, the team of Alter gets ready. We have on the table bread and juice. I'll just lead into it, Dave. Okay. And the bread represents the, the body of Christ broken for us. By his brokenness, we find healing. Eh? And the cup represents his blood shed for us, by which we are reminded of forgiveness. We are forgiven. And we celebrate the power of the gospel in the breaking of the bread. So we invite you to just find two, three friends and just celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life and allow him to come in and just bless each other at the power of the gospel. Continue transforming our lives. Amen. God bless you guys. There's two tables here, left and right.